Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Our Priests. I'm Nora. Tonight, we have the Reverend Kenya Thompson of Holy Innocence Episcopal Church in Atlanta and the Reverend Ricardo Bailey of Holy Innocence Episcopal Upper School and St. Timothy's in Decatur. The Reverend Kenya Thompson grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. She's a graduate of Howard University and American University. She worked for 20 years in college admissions and high school guidance and college counseling. Her career has taken her from Indianapolis, Indiana to Shanghai, China, and many places in between. She earned her Master's of Divinity degree from Candler School of Theology at Emory and has served as the seminarian at Church of the Good Shepherd. In 2016, after graduation, Kenya joined the staff at Emmaus House, where she led youth on the move and the road Episcopal Services Corps. In December 2017, she was ordained transitional deacon and served at Emmaus House Chapel. Ordained to the priesthood in 2018, Kenya accepted her first call as curate at the Church of the Common Ground. Growing up, Kenya watched her grandparents give their time, talent, and treasure to people who were in need. This greatly influenced her vocational choices. First to be an educator and next to discern a call to the priesthood. She has witnessed the miraculous things that can happen when communities come together in love to serve the Lord by serving others. She believes that every day we are blessed with another opportunity to share God's love with the world. Currently, Kenya serves as Associate Rector for Christian Community at Holy Innocence Episcopal Church in Sandy Springs and is married to her high school sweetheart, Malcolm Thompson. Father Ricardo attended Our Lady of Lourdes Catholic School in Atlanta, St. Thomas More, and Shamrock High School in Decatur before attending undergraduate college at Xavier University in Louisiana in New Orleans and graduating with honors, achieving a BA in sociology. In December of 2001, he was ordained as a deacon for the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta. He completed his seminary formation at St. Mary's and on May 15, 2003, was awarded a baccalaureate of sacred theology and a master of divinity degree from the seminary. He was an ordained to the priesthood for service in the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Atlanta at the Cathedral of Christ the King. Father Bailey left the Roman Catholic Church and her priesthood in June of 2011 and was hired by the Westminster Schools in Atlanta. And then he married his high school sweetheart also. He was formally received into the priesthood of the Episcopal Church for service in the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta in November of 2018 and was assigned as an associate priest at the Cathedral of St. Philip for two years. In 2015, Bishop Wright assigned Father Bailey as the vicar and neighborhood missioner of the Episcopal Chapel at Emmaus House in Southwest Atlanta. In November of 2018, he was called to be priest in charge at St. Timothy's Episcopal Church in Decatur, Georgia. In 2019, the Most Reverend Michael B. Curry, presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, appointed Father Bailey as a chaplain to the House of Bishops of the Episcopal Church, a position he still holds. He is currently the head chaplain at Holy Innocence Upper School. He is also the president of the Atlanta chapter of the Union of Black Episcopalians. He is married to Miss Marsha Bailey and is the proud father of three. I want to thank you all for being here tonight. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Uh, tonight, they are going to be talking about the new normal, spirituality in practice. Um, Kenya, I believe you are going to do the opening prayer for us. If you would lead us, we would appreciate it. Thank you so much. I sure will. And thank you, Nora, for um, inviting us this evening. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, stay with us for the evening is at hand and our day is past. Be our companion in the way, kindle our hearts and awaken hope that we may know you as revealed in the scripture and in the breaking of the bread. Grant this for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, again, um, thank you all for, for joining us this, this evening. Um, I'm so pleased to be here. And as Nora mentioned, we will, we're going to talk a bit this evening about the new normal worship and practice uh, post-pandemic. But I just, you know, would first let us just to, to take a moment and think about sort of where we were as the church almost a year ago today. Uh, what we were doing when we heard the news 
that we would not be able to return to our worship spaces uh, indefinitely. Because um, at that point, we really did not know. Suddenly, we were all thrust into this place where we encountered change. We didn't ask for this change. We did not anticipate this change. It was pretty much placed upon us. And now we all know that most people are resistant to change. Uh, my experience that institutions change is not necessarily welcomed and is often hard um, to implement, hard to, to get started. So when it comes to change in our piety, in the way that we, we practice, we live out our faith, in the way that we come together as church, it's even more difficult in my, in my opinion. And so when we were sort of confronted with this realization that we did have to change, uh, we all reacted to it differently. If you think about it, you know, the church is where many of us find comfort, we find peace, it's a place where we go for, for calm. We go for socialization. We build relationships at church. We go for celebration. And all that was disrupted. And we had to figure out how we could be church within an environment that wouldn't allow us to be together in the same space to be church. And so I think that that was probably um, a different experience for, for most of us. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, being the church out in the world and, you know, ordinarily we think about service projects and, and how we treat our neighbors on the day to day and all of those things, all those things are appropriate. Um, but at the same time, you know, last year we were, confronted with the challenge of really being church, being community, being a place of worship, um, being a place for, for spiritual sustenance without actually being within the walls of the church. Um, our responses across the, the diocese, are we responded to this challenge in, in many different ways? Uh, we knew we had to figure it out. Uh, particularly as, as clergy in the church, uh, we were sort of given this huge um, puzzle to solve, if you will, or our problem to, to fix. Um, on one hand, we felt this urgency to meet the needs of our communities, of, of our parishioners, of those who attended church every Sunday, but then also those who were sick and shut, shut in. Um, and at the same time, we weren't exactly equipped to do so. So we had to figure out how we could make certain changes as quickly as, as possible. I remember um, feeling a, a sense of being overwhelmed um, as we got together as a, as a team, clergy, administrators, members of the vestry to try to figure this whole thing out. Um, but I also remember that as a time of uh, immense uh, opportunity and, and creativity, um, a, a time where we did some thinking about the way we did things, the way we did church on Sundays. Um, and, and we sort of re re rethought about the things that we did in a particular way and we put a lot of effort in how to figure out how we could do things in a different way and meet the needs of our communities. Um, of course, worship was a priority. How is this going to happen? Um, I don't know about you all, but as we sort of transitioned into online worship and at Holy Innocence, our online worship consisted and consists of Facebook Live and YouTube, but it seemed like one Sunday we had the sound issue tackled and everyone could hear well. And then the next Sunday, and I see Mike over there, <laughs> there laughing. And then the next Sunday there was something going on with the video. Um, so it was definitely a, a trial and error uh, type of process. 
Um, in addition, once we figured out how to get, you know, how to get everything on air, so to speak, so people could watch it, um, we also, as you all know, we had to eliminate parts that were so central to our worship. Um, that part being communion. You know, we could not celebrate the Holy Communion. So for a lot of the churches, I noticed in the diocese, uh, we had morning prayer um, for at least a few months before we add, before we were able to even think about offering communion in a, in a spiritual form. It was a little bit tricky, to be quite honest, to sort of figure out how to balance meeting the needs of our community and at the same time, going sort of to the opposite extreme of the spectrum. And so in other words, yes, we know that we have church on Sunday and, and we have that so everyone can see, but then what else do we need to do? Some of the churches in our diocese went to having morning, noon, evening, and evening prayer um, two to three to five times per week. Um, other churches had a lot more things going on during the week that, that people could zoom into. Um, but I think the goal for, for all of us was to sort of fill in the void of not being together on Sundays. I know that you know previous to, to COVID, um, Holy Innocence stopped having morning prayer um, because we just the people just people just won't won't show up because they have to go to work and they have other you know responsibilities and so when we started having it you know five days five days a week it was it was a, a little slow to pick up but I would say by the third week I mean we were having you know record attendance like we hadn't had people be able to show up for morning prayer in quite some time and so that in and of itself was a was a blessing we um, were trying to connect with people in different ways, which also meant that we really relied upon um, and were able to depend on our vestry and several church members to, to make phone calls, to just pick up the phone and call people and ask how they were doing, um, to continue, again, to bring our community together when we could not be physically together. Uh, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we didn't have people that were falling through through the cracks. Um, and again, all of these were very um, distinct changes uh, in terms of the ways that that we did church. Did we call people before the pandemic and check in on them? Yes, we did, but not to the extent that we did during during COVID. I mean, I was I was just so proud of, of everyone um, for just reaching out to each other and taking care of each other um, amidst, you know, this this crisis that we've all that we've all endured through. As I had the opportunity to talk to different people, not just at Holy Innocence, but just around the diocese, both clergy and lay, I had the chance to ask people how they how they felt during during pandemic, particularly at the beginning. Um, for some people, it was very disorienting. Um, it's simply because you know they were used to a particular routine, to a practice, and all of that was changed. Um, disorienting because they weren't able to to be with people who they loved and, and cared about. Um, particularly for a lot of our, our members who were um, shut in to some extent um, and did not have, you know, those, re those relationships um, at church on Sundays. Um, so it was particularly hard. Um, some people were in a place of panic, others resistant to the, to the change um, and just really didn't have an interest in online worship at all. Um, and then you still had other folks who were sort of at peace with the, you know, with the entire situation. And so emotions, um, all okay, um, ran, ran the gamut. Um, and, you know, as we've worked through this over the past year, um, I think that 
um, most people have come have come to a place of acceptance and sort of at peace in the situation. Uh, one thing that I think has been good about uh, about the pandemic is that it put us in a place where we had to do some things that maybe we should have done years ago. For example, um, make sure that you know we can live stream our worship. Um, make sure that we're mobilizing and including everybody in our, you know, in our plan to build community and to reach out to each other. Um, make sure that we have options for, for people to, to worship who cannot come to church for one reason or another, whether it be during the week at a morning prayer or a noonday prayer or even on, on Sundays. So in that way, I think that the pandemic has done good things as we now have a number of um, opportunities for us to to pray and to worship together that we did not have pre-pandemic. So I'm sure that everybody has heard the, the good news in that um, all of our churches in the, in the diocese um, can now open for worship given you know, parameters and the, the guidelines set forth by the CDC. And so now we really are in this place or at this place that we've been praying for for so long. And in as much as we are all excited about it, we're now confronted with this question being, what is our new normal? You know, where do we go from here as a church? but then also as, as individuals. Um, what did we learn over the past year? What things that did we start that were new and, and, and different? What things should remain the same? Um, what practices do we need to go, to go back to? Um, just anecdotally, I was talking with um, a few members in, of our community at Holy Innocence the other morning and um, everyone wants to keep virtual morning prayer Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. And I'm very excited about that because I found over the past year, I mean, people are praying with us from literally from across the country. And when I get the message in the chat box that says, hey, how do I get a BCP? I'm really excited about that because that means that they don't have one, they're not Episcopalian, and they wanna get one. And so that makes me really happy. Um, you know, that's just the, that's like evangelism to the 10th power. I, that's absolutely wonderful. And so I think it's really important for us to think about, you know, what we want to, to take with us. We've been on such a journey together and it would be a shame if we did not keep some of the, the, the baggage, if you will, some of the, the, the holy baggage that we've acquired over this past year and just take a step back and reflect as we plan um, for our communities and for ourselves how we are going to go forward within the next few months. And I will um, turn it over to Ricardo from there and we'll have um, questions and, and comments a little bit later. Thank you so much, Kenya. Um, when you think about this journey that we all have been on since last March, I don't think it's coincidental, but I do think it's intentional by God that it began during the Lenten season. And if you want to look at it in a type of practical and spiritual way, we have been in a long season of Lent. Now, I've told people plenty of times that I, I actually love Lent. It is my favorite season of the year. I'm part and parcel because God gives us these small little get out of jail free cards, right? You have um, St. Patrick's Day, you know, to kind of get out, you know, your fast. And you have St. Joseph's Day to get out of that fast. And you have the um, Feast of the um, Annunciation. That's next Thursday. So you get all of these kind of, you know, hallelujah moments, right, to kind of get you through Lent. And then God invented this wonderful thing called the Final Four NCAA. And that really, you know, 
prevents you from going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs for a long time. But all of those things, inclusive of the Final Four, we really did not have last year. And so when you look at the reason why Lent exists, it doesn't only exist to prepare us for Easter. That that right there is just, you know, the coincidental reality. But it, it, it exists fundamentally to prepare the, the people who are the elect for the preparation and the reception of the Easter sacraments. So think about where we were last year and how we have had to come to a fuller appreciation of our sacramental identity as a church. I think for a very long time, and I don't mean this as a means of insult for anybody, so I'll take it that way. But I think for a very long time, in and through our regular ritual that we're used to, a lot of us, I think sometimes, priests included, took it for granted, took what we said and what we did for granted. And I think that this COVID-19 year that we have had has been God's own particular way to get us prepared for the next chapter. Now, we do not know what the next chapter was, and that's what made everything very frustrating, did it not? Because we did not know how things were going to go. It just wasn't just a pill or, or spraying spray or, or just, you know, staying away from each other, but it, it's something that we had to really discern as well as prepare ourselves for. And so this brand new beginning that we are in has been nothing more but God's own preparation for each and every one of us, I believe, to develop a spirituality of adaptation. And like Kenya said, change is hard. Sociologists will tell you that, that, that institutions are very hard to change and that they're very resistant to changing. And the one institution on the face of the earth that preach about change, but does not want the change is guess what church folk, the church. So when you think about it, this was very hard for so many of us. I didn't go to seminary to be a tele-evangelist. I did not go there for that. I'll let the process take care of that. You know what I mean? I let them, you know, go on TV, ask for the money and all this other kind of stuff. I did not go to school for that. But God, in God's own way, laughed at my arrogance of the me versus them and really said to me, okay, Ricardo, you want to preach about what, what um, Michael Kerr is talking about with the Jesus movement? This right here is the Jesus movement. For the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon all of us and to get us out of our comfortable silos and to really allow God to use us and to push us even further, even to the point of taking that risk that we will not lose our faith, but see our faith increase. So similar to, to Kenya's story, I, I happen to serve as the head chaplain of this very large school on the same property and address that Kenya and I work on. And I was, I was scared because I, I said to myself, now, I do have a hard job but it's not the hardest in the world. So if I still, and I'm being practical right here, y'all, if I still want to collect a paycheck, then I need to go ahead and adapt myself and make my worth as well as my, um, my, my ability to be industrious a reality. And so what happened was this. I had to work with the people at the school and say, we cannot not have chapel. The kids have got to have that. And they agreed. And so what we had to do, we had to pre-record some music. We had to rethink church. We had to allow ourselves to be open even more so to not just the discernment of the spirit, but to actually listen actively and attentively to the spirit and to do it. And were there mistakes made? Absolutely so. But at the end of the day, God was glorified. My daughter and I became um, television producers in the name of Jesus without any training at all. She taught me how to use iMovie on my phone. These things right here have become a powerful means of evangelization and spreading the good news of Jesus to the world. And then on top of that, 
having to work at my parish in Decatur, Georgia, and then my musician is in Douglasville, so he's at home, I'm at home, and we're trying to coordinate ourselves in this brand new thing that we just heard about called Zoom, right? And then using Zoom to be the means for us to reach out to the people of God, and we had no idea what was going to happen. The parish I serve in is what they call, um, in our Episcopal tradition, an Anglo-Catholic um, parish, meaning that it is a very traditional sense or ritualistic um, type of church. They, they smells, bells, all that kind of stuff, right? And my people really suffer because ain't no incense in my house, ain't no smoking in my house. My wife ain't having, right? Um, no, no vestments to be worn. I, I just can't walk around the house wearing vestments. My people and my kids will think I'm weird. So what do you do? You adapt. And you use the, the bandwidth that you paid your bill for, right? And you try to make that thing stretch. And somehow or another, God, for that hour and a half that you were together on Sunday, make things happen. And then you not only adapt to the ministry, but you also invite people on the journey as well. So this really was an adventure in fidelity. And one of the things that sustained me in my own spirituality and practice of it is the fact that the same God that we preach about and read about in scripture is the same God who continues to make a way out of no way. We were told by, 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 by the scientists that global pandemics like this happen almost like every 85 to 100 years. It was just our time. And so while we were not really prepared for it, the, the, it's, it's right there in history in 1912, right? So it was our turn. So now what we have to do is to say we're not going to only be defined by history, but in the name of Jesus, we're going to make history. And we are not going to be a church that is archaic, but we're going to be a church that is right here and right now. A true incarnational example of what Jesus calls us to be. So we all have been stretched. And Lord knows it has not been easy. And, and, and fasting from the Eucharist has been very hard, has it not? But I do believe that when you and I come together in whatever way it may happen over the next couple of weeks or months to worship, that Eucharist, as I like to tell my congregants, when they come together for churches like that Campbell Soup commercial, it's going to be mm -mm good because we are going to have a stronger and a better appreciation for what Eucharist is and for what the sacramental economy of the church calls us to be. So based upon what Kenya and I said, I want to um, invite you all, and Kenya, please help me out with this, to um, now ask ourselves, what does this new normal look like? How do we as the diocese um, move forward to continue the work of evangelization but also the, the sustenance of our own spiritual journey. Things are not going to be the same. And because they are not going to be the same as we are used to them being, is that a bad thing? I think for all of us who follow the Lord Jesus, no, it is not. You know, the, the early church had to adapt, did they not? They, they had to adapt when, when Jesus was raised from the dead and, and raised up into heaven. They had to figure out, you know, okay, he ain't here with us physically no more. So how do we within spirit and truth, continue to live and share his presence. The church of 2021 is right there now. So let's open up the floor to see what you all have to say about what this new normal looks like for you and how we all collectively, as members of the Jesus movement, the active Jesus movement, can continue to glorify God in the living of our lives and the sharing and witness of our faith. We are going to unmute everyone, and you are welcome to join in. Um, I, I, I'm going to just inter, interject just something that sort of that's been on my heart for uh, for a few weeks now, and that I've really gotten from from all of this. And I, and I knew before pandemic, but what has been really clear to me, and 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 I know we need we need Jesus, right? Uh, and, and we need the Lord in our lives, but the Lord needs us. And what I have seen so much of during the pandemic is us all stepping up to the plate and reaching out to each other and taking care of each other and comforting each other. We've taken on so much of that 
responsibility, I think more than ever than ever before. And, you know, as we think about the new normal, I, I hope and pray that part of that is continuing to ask ourselves that question, right? What does the Lord need from us? How do we sort of keep up this momentum that we've built up over the past year, sort of this commitment to, to, to caring for each other, you know, perhaps to, to compensate for the fact that we were not in the same space together, you know, making sure that we, we're all sort of wrapped around each other. Um, how do we keep up that momentum as we think about um, the new normal and what that looks like? If y'all could unmute yourself, we would appreciate it. Everyone can join in. If you have a question or comment, please feel free. Can I start off? Sure. And we, I'm, I go to St. Benedict's, and it did take us back a little bit when we it's the first thing started. But we started using Zoom for our small services and for meetings and things like that. And so we developed really nice small groups where we felt close to each other. Uh, we knew what's going on in their lives, and, and we, it would have been better than what we would if we had, went to church in person. And so I hope we can keep some of that. And I think that. Um, as um, Father Bailey said, it's a new normal, and the new normal is going to be in-person church and a lot of, for smaller services and for meetings, a lot of use of the, the internet, because, you know, who wants to travel five or six miles in, in any traffic at night just to get to go to a meeting in church when they can sit at home and, and, and talk to people and and you're, you're focused on what's going on you're focused on the people in the group and I so so I think it, it brings close it brings us all closer because we're not distracted by what's going on around us and I'm really enjoying it and I hope that um I mean I, I do a morning prayer service and, and, and I do a compliment at night I'm sorry um and that's helped my spirituality quite a bit. So I think we're going to learn a lot from this. We're going to come out much ahead on this thing. It's going to be a good thing, as you guys pointed out already. Um, the new normal is going to be excellent. I think what you say, Bill, is very important to the theology of the church, that the church is not the brick and mortar, all right? But the church is the living stones. That's the people of God that make up the church. Think about it. Did you all ever think that any, any moment of your life that you will be giving yourself ashes on Ash Wednesday? We're not trying. We, we, no, we don't do that. You know, you go to the church, the priest or the deacon or the minister, give you the ashes, right? But the church right. said, no, for our um, means of taking care of one another, we're going to utilize these baptismal um, covenant um um, commitments that we make, right? And we're going to be the church and we're going to have it at home. And just like you say, it's going to be a, um, a, a fusion of coming together as well as, you know, seeing each other virtually. So that means to a certain extent, now get ready, church, you ain't have no excuses for not being at your vestry meeting. You ain't got no excuses <laughs> for not being at Bible study. You know, God has prepared us even during this time to take our commitment as the church seriously. So as we are making sure on our end, as the fellow um, sacramental ministers, you know, sisters and brothers, you know, working to, to extend the sacraments to our sisters and brothers, it also means that there's a greater degree of accountability and responsibility for all of us as well to truly do this. You know, um, having people throughout the world, right, join us for worship because it's happened. I know at Kenya's church and in my church, it's a beautiful thing. So we got to keep on pushing and, 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 and keep on moving. Yeah, we had a, a adult formation last Sunday, and we had people from Florida, Wisconsin, Alabama, Maryland. And so these are people that are being brought to church and enjoying everyone's company that they couldn't, we couldn't do without that. And we're also doing, a, a in our parking lot, we do a 2 o'clock Eucharist every Sunday. And we're up to 75 people now because the bishop said, wait, well, that's what we could have. 
and people can come together and socialize before and after the services. And they, and they really seem to like it. Brings people together. Thanks be to God. That's it for me. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. So I have a question. Um, you had mentioned Kenya, the shut-ins, people who just can't make it to church, that the attendance of them, of that group has increased. Do you think that there will be a continued push to include them in the services? I once I think we can so. all join together. Yeah, I think with, yeah, I think with um, particularly the Holy Innocence, folks that have been shut in who have access to internet were able, you know, to, to, to be in service where previously they would either have to get a ride or they wouldn't be in service. Um, usually on Wednesday, on Wednesdays, we would go to them and and have noonday noonday prayer but yeah i do i do anticipate that when we go as we go forward we will still have to think about ways to make sure that they're that they're still uh, included and i also would have to add and i think this is a case that at most churches um there is that there's that group of people who unfortunately you know are elderly and don't either don't have access to the internet or just don't know how to use the internet and so, you know, one way that we, we tried to, um, to, to find around that was to drop off to them, you know, different worship materials on a weekly basis, reflections, copies of the sermons that the sermon that was preached the Sunday before. Um, but again, just in a, the pandemic really caused us to, to have to refocus uh, to make sure that we were including people who, you know, ordinarily just would not have a whole lot of, of access. That's been us. a good thing, and we've had, we have a pastoral care committee, and mm -hmm. so we reach out to those people that we haven't seen in a while, or we're on the prayer list and things like that to make sure things are going okay, and we're also starting to bring out communion to them um, that want it, and uh, it's been a real pleasure. So I think we've done a good job of connecting. Of course, we're not perfect, but I think we. Pretty, do a pretty good job of it. I'll shut up now. Um, this is Mary Hare from St. Luke's and chiming in on what Bill said about driving, you know, five or six miles. I drive 35 miles to church from Lawrenceville down to um, St. Luke's. And so like it's a three to do a one hour meeting. It's three hours for me. So I've really enjoyed, I hate not being with the people, but I really enjoy being able to use my time really well. And that means I can go from a seven o'clock Zoom meeting to an eight o'clock Zoom meeting, and then to a nine o'clock Zoom meeting, and then check in with my friend after that or in between time. So I've, I've really appreciated the convenience and saving on the gas, car gas bill but I miss the in-person thing, but I've been able to do a lot more, um, more participation because of this. The other thing is, look at how we see each other. We are close, we are face-to-face. -face. And we're, when you're in, let's say a parish hall for a meeting, you might be close to the people next to you, but we're intimate in a different way than we are in person and I've, um, enjoyed that. The other thing, St. Luke's is doing a, um, we're studying the book Cast with Ebenezer Baptist. Oh. Now, this way we break into Zoom, into breakout sessions. So we get to know a group of six people a little bit better just for like 45 minutes. But I think we've been given some really major advantages with communications through um, having to develop our Zoom skills and our Zoom techniques. As far as Sunday worship goes at St. Luke's, we've, are, we've been streaming the sermons, maybe not all the services, but now we have this terrific tech team. They have mastered a lot of their camera and um, filming skills. And I, I really believe that we will be, we will still live stream because we've got a gal 
in the Netherlands who watches. She goes to St. Luke's and she's over there now. So it's really facilitated. Oh, and our annual meeting, more people than ever before attended the annual meeting because it was online. So I can't wait to get back to see everybody when we can sort of elbow bump each other and be live and in person because that's really meaningful. Um, and so I hope we have the best of both worlds because there's a lot, the combination of everything. I think we've been, we've been really lucky in a way as we're sitting here all alone in your house with your dog, but. Hey, Mary, um, I just want to respond to what you said. Um, some, I think a lot of us in Atlanta, you know, um, can, can say with pride and, and admit that the former Archbishop of Atlanta, um, um, Wilton Daniel Gregory was made a Cardinal up in Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. And, um, they, they told them that they could not, you know, bring delegations or anything, because usually when an archbishop or a bishop is made a cardinal, it's a huge, you know, type of thing. You know, the, the whole basilica, you know, is, um, is filled. It's the largest church in Christendom. And they had to scale everything back to the, the area behind what they call the Confessio St. Peter, which is the um, altar of the chair. It's a, small, it's a small area, big enough for a parish, but small in number. Mm -hmm. They had the consistory for both days when he received the red hat and um, had the actual mass for the first time as a cardinal. All the other cardinals of the world could not be there. What we see right now on our computer screens, what they have right there at the Vatican for the cardinals. So adaptation is not a hard thing. It can, it can happen. Yeah. Even with the House of Bishops or the Episcopal Church, mm -hmm. we have... We thrive on meeting together and, and seeing each other and sharing stories and, and just vibing, right? And we haven't been able to do that. But you think that the presiding bishop is less effective preaching, you know, person to person than he is online? You get more hell from him online than you get, you know, person to person. And it's a beautiful thing. And then we're able to break out in different, you know, um, groups and all that kind of stuff. So um the face-to-face -face stuff is going to be there. It's going to come because God is faithful, but we also are going to have to maintain this as well. And that's not a bad thing either because it helps us, I believe, to be a better steward of your time, of your resources, as well as your ability to continue to give to the church as well. So I just do that out there as a, um, to support what you said as well. Well, thank you. Yeah. Oh, in Kenya, the answer to where can you get a BCP is the cathedral bookstore. Oh, <laughs> of course, of course. Amen. Um, you know, and I was just, you know, thinking, you know, one of the things that has become quite clear is that, you know, practicality and spirituality can share the same space. Amen. Right. We can be practical about things and continue to have these Zoom, you know, outreach meetings or whatever meeting that might be and get a lot of things done. You know, oftentimes I think when we think about a lot of us think about our own, particularly our personal spirituality. You know, we envision these times when we can go off and be alone in a garden or by some water or at a mountain. And the reality of it is most of our lives don't lend themselves to those types of opportunities. Sometimes we have to get our prayer in where we can. It could be in our car. It could be in the shower. Sometimes we have to get our worship in, as we've learned, maybe in, in non-traditional settings. And I think maybe there was some amount of fear that the online worship somehow would, 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 would cheapen the, the worship or, or maybe make it um, you know, less effective, because again, we've all seen or, or heard about, you know, really bad television uh, evangelists. Uh, but, but I hope that, you know, we've sort of gotten past that, that myth over the past year um, and just will continue to embrace some of these, these, these practices that we've gotten accustomed to that, in fact, enhance our relationship with, with God. I think the people who are going to be the happiest to get back to be live and in person are the clergy. <laughs> First Sunday we were online, poor Horace Griffin had to walk into an empty church, picture us sitting in our pews, and preach to an empty room. And it was really hard for them at the beginning to get used to being their enlivened and spiritual selves to wooden pews. Now they've done a good job mastering it. And what I really love is to be close up and see seeing their faces 
you know, it's instead of being a really far away, but I, I, and the choir, the organist and the, the choir people, you know, we have a, a Zoom choir, but I really think that you two guys are going to really be happy to not have to preach to a dead space. <laughs> It'll be, it's sort of like the first day of school, except I don't get a new lunchbox. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So may I jump in with a question? This is Kathy. Um, and so in a spirit of full disclosure, I have to tell you, I'm an almost Episcopalian. May 29th, Ricardo. Gotcha. Would have happened last March, but for COVID. Understood. Um, but I have um, worshipped with the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer here in Greensboro, Georgia, which is out I-20. Very small, very historic church. Um, and it's just, it's been wonderful. And speaking to the creativity that you all have been mentioning and the both and, it has, it has worked beautifully here. And we're coming back together in a very small way for the first time on Sunday. So it's very exciting. But I have a question, actually. Yeah. That was just my little disclaimer. My question is, since both of you are affiliated with um, Holy Innocence, where my youngest child went, um, of course, now he's in his 30s. That was a while ago. How do you see this hybrid model working with the younger generation? Um, it, you know, are you, are you finding any kind of hints and clues from like the high school kids, um, Father Bailey? Well, Kathy, um, that, that's an interesting question you won't have to say because um, I was, the, the usual rhythm that we have at the school is that in every division, minus the um, little ones at the primary school, they all go over to the church for this specific day to have the chapel experience. And the church is packed full of these young kids with their families, so on and so forth, teachers and stuff. And one of the things I was afraid of is that not having that sense of familiarity and routine of being inside that worship space was going to be hard. And how in the world would we want to keep their interest? To my absolute pleasant surprise, the kids, and I think for, for obvious reasons, but the kids really prefer the online worship. And what happens is um, for a lot of kids who would ordinarily be afraid to read, you know, in front of a large um, gathering of their peers, be afraid to even play instruments or whatever, that type of fear is not there anymore. And I think they are um, entering into something that many of our other churches, other denominations have already been doing. And um, it is using the genius of technology to really draw people in and to give people substance in their worship as well. So what I thought was going to really be fundamentally lacking in our worship experience has really, um, to, to, to a certain degree, really enhanced it. And, and it's nothing really of my doing. It's of their willingness to participate and to take it on and to move forward. Now, that's the school portion. Um, can, you, can you talk about the, um, the, the parish portion? Yeah, of course. Um... So what we've learned, and this is from our, um, our, our director of youth ministries and also our director of children's ministries, is that, um, well, first of all, our, our young people are a lot more technologically inclined and comfortable than we are. And so for a number of the sort of the meetings and events that, that Megan has had for, the, for, for high schoolers, middle schoolers um, that are, you know, FaceTime, they're all over that because that's what they're used to. And so attendance has been pretty good at those types of, you know, she's had a number of discussions where, where the young people could come together and sort of just talk about what's going on or uh, a particular, you know, Bible lesson. So all for them to do all of those things via FaceTime, um, which is preferred or Zoom or something like that, um, she's more, she's been more apt to get young people using those those methods then saying hey you know meet up at holy instance at you know six o'clock on a thursday mm -hmm. uh, another thing to think about is because things have been online you know the young people don't have to rely on their parents uh, particularly middle schoolers and high schoolers to really do anything um, sure that the younger kids do uh, but you know we have seen a, a, i think a, a good amount of um so, sort of increase in engagement 
um, in a lot of the different aspects of our youth and children's ministries. Uh, we also have seen uh, families really uh, engaging a lot, like like more in in sort of in our in our youth education. We've had a number of days where families could come and pick up sort of their Sunday school packets that would take them through, you know, a liturgical season or focus on a particular uh, thing that they were they were studying. And that's been that's been pretty successful as, as well. And so it's like, you know, these kits in a bag of, of different activities. And so I think those are the types of things that, you know, we would we would continue to have and then certainly substitute them with in-person activities. You know, one of the one of the challenges we face now with with our kids is that they are really scheduled up. There are a lot of uh, extracurricular demands on them increasingly as they get into the high school years and start thinking about college. And so having some form of church, whether it be, you know, study or discussion um, online actually gives, gives way to, to, to more kids and more young people being a part of our church. Uh, we just had to sort of bend a little bit. I think we had to fight against a little resistance that we've had for a number of years. Um, but I think it's it's ending in a, in a good place of things that we can continue. Thank you both so much. That's really good news and exciting. Yeah. I think we have time for one more question or comment. We have one in the chat box from Stanley. He asks, how might the fact that this global pandemic with the vast loss of life and the prospect of future similar events occurring more frequently in form, our personal and communal spiritual practices and how we be together in church and community. How do we come to an understanding of pandemic and what we are called to do for the sake of our species? If um, I could begin to um, answer that question, what I would say to you all, Stanley, is exactly what this has taught us, I believe, over this last year or so. And that is that um, faith and reason are not mutually exclusive, but because intellect is a gift from God, we're called to also be in solidarity with and trust the science as well. I think that this whole time has really prepared us for if another outbreak does happen, if you know a certain area of the country or the world becomes what they call a hotspot, right? then I think we know how to kind of pull back and regroup and to do church in another way. I believe that God has given us the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to absolutely um, embrace um, uh, adaptivity as not just being a concept, but actually being a practice and a way of life. And so I think if the church is able to have enough humility, right, to, to trust the science, to, to listen to our good brother, Dr. Anthony Fauci, you know, who I hope is going to be um, even more appreciated and celebrated over the next couple of um, months and years for the hard work that he and his colleagues have done to really prepare us and, and have us, you know, be the mature Christians that Bishop Wright speaks of us to, um, to be for one another, to really, you know, take care of each other and, and to know and understand that in it all and through it all, God's going to be glorified. We just have to make sure we do our part to take care of each other. And I hope that answer makes sense. Can you? Yes, and so, you know, I would add to that, I think one challenge we faced uh, to some extent in, in the church is how people perceived this pandemic, or e even if they did perceive it as a pandemic. And so within, you know, within some of our church communities, not just within the Episcopal Church, we have folks who did not necessarily view this as a, as a pandemic, or, you know, you hear things like, well, you know, this is just like the flu, um, and so I think we have to look at um, the fact that given a pandemic, maybe our response shouldn't necessarily be based on whether or not we think it's a pandemic, but it should be based on, as Ricardo had mentioned, had mentioned the, 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 um, the science. Um, and that, you know, we can look at the science, we can study the science, we can learn about the science, and we can respond to the science in faithful ways. You know, one doesn't cancel out 
the the other. And so, you know, I, I've, I've seen this as a pandemic from the beginning, um, but maybe my neighbor has not. And so our responses are going to be different. And um, how we feel about, let's say, the changes in our church are going to be different. Because if I think that it's just you know, an overblown sort of medical emergency or situation. I mean, then my neighbor feels feels the opposite about it. Um, then one of us may be really upset about not being able to go to church on Sunday, while the other person may say, hey, well, you know what? It's a good idea according to the science. And, and I see within some of our churches, sort of that's where there was some tension, um, where you have some some people who, you know, either because of maybe they didn't believe the science for, for, for good reason or, or for, for other reasons, or maybe they had a friend that still had church down the street. And so, you know, I, I got a number of, you know, emails or, or calls around that. Well, my friends are having church and, you know, they're really smart people and they didn't believe, they don't believe the science and, you know, uh, but we're not having it. So we have to find a way uh, to come together to say, you know what, maybe I don't believe the science completely, but I know that if I respond in this way, it's going to keep my neighbor safe. And so why not err on the side of caution um, just to make sure that everyone is in fact um, okay and everyone can still be healthy and happy and, and strive. Um, but I think this is a this is sort of you know we've learned several lessons, and so it would be to our advantage as 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 a church to really come together and think about our responses, and you know going forward because this will come around again, um, how we can um, be be prepared and be sort of ready to to act. On that note, I think we are going to have to close for tonight. I've promised to stop on time. <laughs> uh, Ricardo and Kenya, Kenya and Ricardo, thank you so much for being with us and giving us, reminding us that there is hope. Thank you so very much. And I want to let you know that next week we will have the Reverend R. Winston Arthur from St. Michael and All Angels in Stone Mountain and the Reverend Dennis Patterson, Jr. from the Church of the Holy Trinity in Decatur. And they are going to be discussing black cultural identity within the Episcopal Church. So that is going to be very interesting. Um, and I want to ask you to please join us next Tuesday for our third installment of Mental Health March, which will feature the Reverend Robert Flanagan, who is author of Courage to Thrive, which also is available at the bookstore. Uh, Ricardo, I believe you are going to send us out. Is that correct? I sure am. And I want us all to remember that um, Atlanta has been the news. Um, historically, we've always been called the city that is too busy to hate. And unfortunately, that is not the narrative that is being shared with the world right now. But we do know that God is the God of a second chance and that God is the God that strengthens and empowers our hope and our faith. We're not far from Holy Week, which is a reminder of why we do what we do. So let us pray that God will bless us, empower us to be a blessing to the world, and help us to be rooted in God's will, purpose, and plan for us. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, you call us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. May you truly come and eradicate all forms of hatred and all forms of fear, all forms of anything that keeps us from seeing our sisters and brothers as truly being made and called to be respected and loved because they are created in your image and likeness. Help us, almighty God, that as we continue to strive and, and work and glorify you by the living of our lives, that your Holy Spirit that so abundantly came upon that infant church will be the same Holy Spirit that will come upon each and every one of us to cover us and to empower us to go into the world and to not be afraid to go and preach as well as teach the liberation of love that you bequeath unto us. So we thank you for this past year. We thank you for all the things we have learned and we thank and praise you for the blessings that are to come. Bless us so that we can truly be a blessing to one another 
And may as we celebrate our Holy Week journey and our Easter joy, may we remember the constant thread of that Easter hymn for us not to be afraid, for it is your peace that you give unto us. May we receive that peace and may we never walk in fear. All this we ask in the name of your Jesus, who is our Lord, liberator, savior, and friend. Let everybody on this call join me in saying, amen. 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 Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you too for agreeing to do this. Good night, everyone. God bless y'all. God Thank bless everyone. Guys. Thank you.